Hey guys, Alex here, AJNashville.com, here with Mr. Jeff Perry. Say hello, Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Of course, he would say it like that. You would think after 100, and, 100 plus episodes, he would mature and be like, hey guys, how's it going? I'm Jeff. Anyways, so the reason for this podcast today is is a phrase or a set of words that my kids say from time to time. It's a set of words that absolutely drive me up a wall, and it's a set of words that I look at and I don't understand why people use this phrase. That phrase is, I can't. To me, I can't means that you've defeated yourself before you've even given yourself the opportunity to complete or even try something. What I prefer my kids to say and what I ask them to say in in replacement of I can't is, will you help me? Mm -hmm. Because that to me is an important thing for them to say, hey, if you feel like you cannot complete something, turn and say, hey, will you help me? So you're looking for resources. You're teaching them to find resources early. I'm, I'm teaching them not to give up before they even start. <clears throat> so this morning, Rowan was, she's in a Rowan mood, mm-hmm. and she is crawling across I'm the floor. I'm not putting my pants on. She, I cannot put my no. I tell her, I say, come here. She says, I can't. I said, you stop saying that right now. I said, you can. You can do anything that you want to do as long as you want to do it bad enough. And she looks at me with those three-year-old eyes, and she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> But the great thing is, is, is she is starting to learn. So now when I, when she says, I can't, I look mm-hmm. at her and say, you can't, you know, in a questioning manner. Yeah. And she says, daddy, will you help me? And that to me, it, obviously it teaches her that, hey, you know what? You can reach out and you can get the proper resources to do something as long as you ask. You know, I've been reading David Goggins' book. I should say listening to mm-hmm. it because I, I'm not a big reader. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you should read a hundred books a year. I'm like... I'll listen to 100 books a year because to me it's better to be listened to by the author that's that wrote the book because you can hear their emphasis on certain words and things like that. Plus, I can do it in the background. I don't have time to sit down and stare at a book and say, all right, let me read this whole thing, comprehend it while everything else is, that's going on around me is going on, and then have that quiet time to do so. What if you're like me and you start reading something, it kind of puts me to sleep. Like yeah. I, fall, I will literally close my eye, like fall asleep doing it. Right, um, you're like, it's not that it's boring. It's just it, it's it's relaxing and it just puts me to sleep. Yeah. Well, see, take that and imagine a couple toddlers running around mm-hmm. screaming and yelling and no. And here's the thing with toddlers: like there was a pillow on the floor today. Lincoln wanted the pillow. Rowan didn't want anything to do with the pillow until Lincoln had the pillow. And then it's like death. If I don't have this pillow, everyone's gonna die. And so it, it becomes a very crazy household. And you have no time to read a book. No. But anyways, back to that I can't thing. You know, like I said, I was reading David Goggins' book. He talks about not being prepared and being challenged to run 100 miles in Mm -hmm. a 24-hour span. Now, mind you, he was not prepared. That means he didn't train for it. He didn't have conditioning for it. He didn't do anything. They just said, hey, if you want to get in this race, you have to do this. And he said, okay. And the next day, he's running 100 miles. He actually ran 101 miles. For the simple fact that he couldn't remember if he had actually ran 100 and wanted to get that extra mile in so he wouldn't be disqualified. Mm-hmm. Now, he could have easily said, I can't run 100 miles, especially without preparation. Nobody can do that, and this is impossible, and given up before he was actually defeated. The thing is, is had he never tried, he would have never known how far he could get, what he would need to do to improve, and what he would need to do to prepare himself to do that. How many miles and um an hour is that, uh, if you break that down. Yeah. Well, I mean, just put it this way, minutes, because we go to the gym, right? Sometimes. Yeah. 
And if you get on the treadmill and I'm walking, it typically takes me about 20 minutes to walk mm-hmm. at an incline of 15% grade to do a mile. So and in, that's a pretty good clip. So obviously, but if you're running and you have 24 hours, I mean, are they sleeping within this period of time? Are they resting? No, are they just straight going? And do- it's on average like 4.16 for, yeah, four, basically four and a quarter mm-hmm. miles per hour. Okay. That they would, and that's a pretty, you have to think, they've got to eat something to keep themselves nourished because their body's just depleting every calorie that's in their system and every bit of energy that it has. Mm-hmm. So they have to eat and they're probably, he's probably doing so while he's running or walking. Right. But, you know, four and a quarter miles an hour is a pretty decent pace, even if they're walk, run, walk, run, walk, run. Right. So not to mention, he was talking about stress fra- fractures that he got in his feet and shins. Mm-hmm. And at one point, his shins were so destroyed that he duct taped them. To right. keep them together, this way he can continue to go on about his pace. Yeah, I mean, if, I don't know if anybody out there's had shin splints before, but they hurt. Yeah, well, these aren't shin splints; these are like shin shatters. Yeah. So you know, but like I said, the thing is, the moral to it is, he could have said, "I can't, I can't do that. My body's not conditioned to do that. There's no way I can do that," and would have given up before he tried. And that leaves the lesson unknown: that hey, what would it take to complete that then? Or what would it take in order to reach out to the proper person to get the conditioning to get that done? And what I see in society is I see a lot of this I can't attitude. You know, oh, the business is slow. I can't find anybody that's looking to sell a house. Well, have you depleted all your resources? Have you tried everything that you can try in order to make that happen? Mm -hmm. And I used this analogy the other day. And, of course, there's always one fuckface in the group. And that was the fuck face. There's always one. There's always <laughs> one person that's like, oh, that's a horrible way to live. You know, mm-hmm. when I said, look, and I'll use you for an example. If I said, Jeff, mm-hmm. can you find a deal here in the next 24 hours? Is it possible that you can find a deal, um, a mortgage transaction? Are you able to do so? And the response to that is typically like, yeah, probably, maybe. I don't know. I'll make a couple calls and I'll see what I can make happen. Can we agree that that's usually mm-hmm. a typical sure, response? Absolutely. Okay. Now, what if I took a fucking gun? And put it to the back of your head. I grab your wrist, flip it around on you, and pull the trigger. First of all, you're too small to do any of that shit. (laughs) Second of all, (laughs) there's always that one person. It sounded good. There's that one person. It happens to be right here in the studio today. His name's Jeff. But anyway. And then I say, you find me a deal. Yeah. No. No. Not going to happen. Okay. Never mind. So maybe if I was like half your size. But no, to answer your question If I put a gun to the back of your head. I would find a deal. And you would probably find one fast. Mm-hmm. If you have the threat. The faster, the better. If you, <laughs> in if that you have situation. the threat of death, if I say 24 hours, you have to find a deal. Your response isn't going to be like, I might, uh, yeah, I might be able to find one. Your response yeah. is going to be like, no problem. I'll find no, one and right we've now. had this discussion many times about this same, the same, same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, your answer is, well, if I put a gun to your head, you know, granted, no one wants a gun put to their head. But if they do and they're under this, the amount of pressure of, it's life or death, then they're going to go find a way to do it versus saying, I can't. Because guess what the alternative is? Death. Correct. But here's the thing. So this is a proverbial gun to your head. Right. Because all of us get up every day and we say, hey, we're going to go to work. We're going to leave our families. We're going to do what we can in order to make shit happen. Yeah. And if we have that mentality and we actually do that and we live by that and we abide by that, then we go to work every day and we make shit happen. We do. Now, one of those people in the group, they were like, does that mean you're closing 365 deals a year? No. No. Because 
that doesn't mean that you're getting a deal every single day to do it. That means you're doing the work to get the deals. This way, eventually, you can close more deals. You know, could you get to the point of closing 365 deals a year? Absolutely. Yeah, the whole point of it is to get away from that I can't and actually try something and get results versus just saying I can't and laying down and throwing in the towel. Right. And and giving up and saying I'm okay with being okay because mm-hmm. it's it's a very easy thing to do. I've been guilty of this in the past as well. You hit a certain number and you're like, this feels good. I'm going to stay right here. And you know how much work it takes to get to that number. And it's easy to say, you know what? I'm just going to rest at this number. And I'm okay with doing that because I'm better than most Mm -hmm. and I'm living nice or living healthy or whatever. And when I say better than most, I'm talking about in a mental standpoint, you're thinking to yourself, you're better than most. Right. But indeed, you're not because you're just standing idle. It's allowing my time and everything that I should be doing to go to waste, right? Because it's not allowing me to, say to idle, reach out. What do they say? Idle, idle time is the devil's playground. Yes, which and there's some truth to that yeah. because when you sit there and you say, "Well, you know, I'm just going to let it go," right. and the other thing is, is people in in some cases say, "Well, I can't double my business. There's no way I can't do that. I don't have enough time in the day." The correction to that is you do have enough time of the day. It's what you allocate that time to do because the people down the road that are closing $400 million as a team a year, you know, they have the same 24 hours that all of us have. Mm-hmm. The only difference is they stop saying I can't and they said we're going to mm-hmm. and we're going to find the resources to do so. If I committed to a certain number, I have to look at that number and say, okay, we're going to stair step up to it. And as we do that, we're going to grow and we're going to use more resources because we're going to turn that I can't into I will. And I do, and I'm going to. You know, the fact of the matter is when the crash hit, a lot of us were still working through the crash. I didn't take any time off during the crash, did you? Mm-mm. I mean, I saw companies collapse around me, and I could be like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go back to being somebody else's 40 hours a week slave, you know, and, and fulfilling their dreams as opposed to, hey, we got to make it happen. Now, there was downsides and upsides, and there, there was times where this word I can't could be used, and that was I can't pay my bills, because I don't have the resources mm-hmm. to do it. Now, I could use that word, but the truth of the matter is you can find a way. The defeat in your mindset is what says, hey, we can't do this anymore. we got to back out. we got to stop. You know, reading Goggin's book, he talks about SEAL training and everything else, and he talks about these, these extreme things that SEALs go through. And here's the thing. The, the physical makeup of people is what it is. Human beings are all created pretty much equal. Mm-hmm. You know, you have tall, short, big, small. You have all those different factors. Well, you're short, so you're <laughs> inferior. But you have all these different factors, but they're useful factors, okay? Because people are made a certain way for a reason. Obviously, there's a reason for short people, just like there's a reason for tall people. If it wasn't for short people, we wouldn't have step stools. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Totally kidding. But, you know, the thing is... is little truth to every joke, my friend. Right. The, the truth is, though, is fine-tuning those things and saying, okay, we're all built the same. It's how you use your body, how you nourish your body, and how you work your body. Mm-hmm. You know, So the thing like, like what I've read that a SEAL goes through, they challenge that, and they bend it, and they talk about these underwater dives where they, they basically force a person to drown. So <clears throat> I was talking to Derek, my roommate, the other night about uh, BUDS training and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and how it all came about and – and uh, the SEALs originally wasn't – and, and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, but they used to dismantle uh, uh, mines, like floating mines that were anchored down, like uh, magnetic mines and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it, it all came about. So, okay, so the the big thing with BUDS, this just so you are 
um, aware. It's it's basic underwater demolitions right, training. Right. So yes, which the, is those the core mines, it, right? Correct. The core of it, I, I think, goes with what you're saying. I don't know in detail enough what it actually entails or what it originally started from. So I would be speaking from an uneducated standpoint. Yeah. But I can definitely find out that information. There's a to history buff, you know. So he's he's well, he, he was in the army, and he right? was in the army. Yeah, he yeah. served, and uh, you know, he's saying you know how like the difference between like certain uh, branches of military where seals were designed where they can just go into a different country by themselves or with, and operate or a small group or just one person or whatever and operate and and carry out a mission as well in where... my my understanding for pe- speaking to people that that are seals i i would say were but that's kind of like an asinine way to say that because it's yeah. like once you're a seal you're always a seal right you know you may be you may have taken a step back from military service, but that doesn't mean if your country doesn't pick up the phone and call that you're not there to serve. Correct. But the my understanding of it is basically you have smaller teams that make up of individuals that do several things that they're very skilled in. Right. And that makes a SEAL team, and they're able to do things, and they're able to – you know, if if you've got a person that's really good at this, they're able to, to jump in that position mm-hmm. and take that over and operate in that position even if that person is down or missing. So – but the thing is – once again, you know, you talk about the basic SEAL training. You're talking about things that a lot of people would say they can't do. Oh, probably within the first five minutes. Right. And and granted, there's a lot of the, the mental things. And that's what Goggins talks about in his book. He talks about the mental things. He talks about reaching into your cookie jar. And, and when you're getting ready to give up, you have to look at your small wins and the things you've overcome in life. No matter how big, no matter how small it is, it's still a win. And when you're getting ready to quit, you reach in that cookie jar and say, you know what? I did this. I'm going to keep pushing. And he talks about motivation and things like that. He talks about in one situation where he's underwater and they're doing a knot tying evolution. Mm -hmm. And they bounce up and his instructor said, I bet you can't tie the next three knots without coming up for air. And he goes back down and he starts tying and he says that his instructor gives him a slow thumbs up after slowly inspecting the first knot and then allows him to move to the second knot. He moves to the second knot. He begins to tie it. He ties it. He gets the thumbs up. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he starts seeing stars in the side. It's Which means the, you're going out. They say it's they say it's uh, off to see the wizard yeah. is what they call it. And he says his mind starts racing, and he starts thinking about these things and thinking about all the people that said he couldn't and all the people that said he would never make this and he would never do this. And that motivated him. He said it almost gave him like a, a second burst of energy to get down there and take his time. And he said he took his time on the third knot. And he was tying it slowly, and he can tell his instructor was like, hurry up, hurry up, we got to get this done. And finally he tied it and handed it to his instructor who promptly gave him a thumbs up, and they surfaced. And when they surfaced, he said his instructor was out of air, but that time that he spent underwater was a serene and a relaxing time for him. His heart rate was able to come down. He was able to focus. He was able to do the things he he wanted and needed to do because he knew the other side of that is if he came up for a breath of air without that approval, he would have failed, and they would have kicked him out. And so everything that everybody else challenged him and said he couldn't do and wouldn't do would be true. It would become light because they would say, told you you couldn't do it. And what happens with that? That's like the most offensive thing that somebody can say. If I'm motivated to do something <clears> – <throat> Well, not, as, not only is it offensive, but for myself, I've struggled with things in my own life as far as getting back up. And when you're pushed down to the point of not getting back up again and you take those defeats, 
and you and someone says, "See, I told you so," kind of a thing. Right. It's even harder on your mental status to get back up than if you were to push through that in that certain situation. If you can figure out the way to push through that situation, right, and avoid getting pushed down because once you're down, it's a lot harder to get back up than if, like I said, than than just pushing through that situation. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing. Once you're down, it's easier to get kicked in the face. It's easier to get kicked in the teeth. Mm-hmm. It's about dusting yourself off and getting back up. And that sounds much easier said than done because we've all been at a point where we're like, we're down. This fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, something's happened, loss of job, loss of relationship, whatever it may be. Something's down and mm-hmm. we're down. And we're like, fuck, this sucks. And it's very hard to be like, all right, I'm good. Boom, back up. But that's where you rely in other people. That's where you're able to go to someone and say, hey, man, let me let me take a couple minutes of your time. I got some things I want to get off my chest. Will you listen? And that's where surrounding yourself with people that will actually support you and carry you through those times is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the time where the motivation from other people and who you associate with makes a big difference. Because guess what? If you hang around a lot of people that aren't motivated, they're not going to motivate you to do anything outside your comfort zone. No. They're not going to motivate you to jump back up. They're going to sit there and they're going to pat your back and say, it'll be all right. But that's about it. You know, and that's what friends are supposed to do. Now, what friends are really supposed to do is challenge you and say, hey, pussy, get up. It's time to get this done. Dust yourself off. Have your couple moments of grieving and let's keep pushing forward. Mm -hmm. And that happens in all aspects of life. You know, anything that you look at. And I I read somewhere a while back that there's a statistic where the mental pain of something like a loss of a relationship, for example, only actually lasts 12 minutes. And I, I don't know how true that figure is. But basically, we as people choose to drag it on over and over, day in and day out, and think about it and beat ourselves down about it and everything else, when all we need is someone to come up and you slap know you on the back. You want to know that comes from? Is you, when you're a child and something goes wrong and you get comfort and then and then you cry again and you get more comfort for mm-hmm. it. It, it you've, you've kind of conditioned or you've been conditioned to drag those moments of pain out because you get that some sort of, um, you know, uh, incur- some sort of pat on the back or it's okay and that kind of stuff. Well, and and I think to a certain degree, I can see where you're coming from with that. But to another degree, I think it's us feeling sorry for ourselves. Why me? We start analyzing the things that we do. Don't don't flex over there like you're fucking flex. Yeah, them little ass guns. You ain't doing nothing with that. Jeff's over here in the office flexing as he's stretching. <laughs> this is what a friend does, by the way. You're muscles are weak. So anyways, um, damn, I got to get in the gym. The thing is though, is, is I think it's mentally, we want to feel sorry for ourselves. Mentally, we want to overanalyze what it is that we're gone through. Mentally, we want to say, Hey, it's me. And here's what's wrong and find all these flaws within ourselves. And the thing is the self-analyzation is very important in looking and saying, what was it that I may have done wrong for a correction? Not, but for, but not to wallow. Correct. And that is a learning lesson. That's something we look at and say, you know what? That person's right. I did X, Y, and Z, which wasn't appropriate, and that's what cost me this relationship. No, and but I think to- we talk about these things. Like you brought, you bring these conversations up because they're true, real challenges in life. These are things that everybody struggles with. Yeah, and they're things that you know we we may not have the exact answer, but we've got influences from people like David Goggins and whatnot that have overcome certain challenges. And if we can take and learn and absorb these things from these people that have. Uh, accomplished certain things or gotten certain through certain things in their lives, maybe it'll make a difference. Right. And that's the thing, having those small wins. And that's what he talks about in his book, the small wins, 
the small wins will equate to larger wins because you'll take those small wins as things in your cookie jar that you're able to reach in and say, hey, I, I did something like this before. Well, they put they put a little wind in your sail. They when, do. when your sail's down, they put a little wind in it so that you right. have the extra oomph to get through whatever situation you're trying to push and through. And imagine overcoming something that you never thought you would overcome before, be it anything, mm-hmm. anything at all. You're broke, and you're like, I'm never going to get out of this debt. I can't move any further in life because I have nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you overcome that. And then years later, you look back and you're like, I was through a situation like that. And I overcame this and I'm in a better position because of it. Yeah. Imagine the leverage that has when it comes to overcoming something that's much smaller. Yeah. You know, you look at, at the little things that we allow to impact ourselves. And you also look at the time that's invested in impacting those things. And I think that's where the can't, I can't syndrome comes from. I think people say, hey, you know what? This one time I failed and I can't do it again because I don't have the strength to do that or I don't have the want or the will to do that. Now, with my children, I understand it's just a learned behavior. They don't actually think they can't do it. It's just a learned thing. It's how you respond to something. And that is not an acceptable term in my house. I'll give you an example. Shannon's son is having some trouble in psychology. He's advanced psychology. This is Mm college-level stuff that he's doing. And he said – I'm thinking about dropping the class and picking up something else because of the fact I don't want it to bring my GPA down. And on the surface, that looks like a good idea. But when I look at it, it's that's allowing a, a defeat. That's saying this thing challenged me, so I gave up and I found something else. And I let him know, and, and we're on the same page when it comes to that. But letting yourself kind of come back and say, all right, I'm comfortable again. I don't, I don't need to worry about this. Now I can glide through. Mm-hmm. And for me, if I was to look at somebody's records and say, okay, they had advanced psychology and all of a sudden it stopped, I would question that. Why did you stop? And the response to that would probably be, well, you know, it was pretty tough. Okay, so if that obstacle was tough and you quit, what other obstacles are you willing to quit at? And that's the thing that they – from what I've gathered with the Navy SEAL training is they don't want people that are going to quit mm-hmm. because what happens when it gets too stressful and somebody needs to have somebody else's back and they say lives are at stake. That. Right. Exactly. And I don't, I don't accept that failure. And here's what I told him. I said, I'll leave it up to you and, and your mom and your dad and you guys decide what it is, bet is best, but here's where I stand with this issue. And if you quit, that's not an acceptable thing to me, but it is ultimately up to you. And it's because I don't want to allow people to have the excuse of failure. Mm-hmm. You know how many times we could have been like, ah, this podcast, it, it's too difficult. I can't do this anymore. Well, yeah, because people don't realize we take time out of our day, which we actually are, you know, I mean, we're at work. We're not. Um, we're busy. Yeah, we're not. We don't have just the luxury of going into a studio, hanging out, and oh, let's have some fun. Yeah, this isn't our day job. We actually do something all day. Right. And the other end of it is content. Content is very difficult to come up with. And I could easily go, I, man, I can't come up with anything. Mm-hmm. And here we go using that I can't word again. I can. How many times have we Instead started Instead of this? saying we can't, what we usually end up doing is saying, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, right. I don't know. Okay, well, what about this? No, I don't know about that. What? I mean, we, we actually figure out a way. And, and yes, we could say, uh, we don't really have any information today. Yeah. Let's not do today and then let's just move on. But we owe the people that take the time to listen more than that. So – I want to close this off. We're running out of time here. The biggest thing is the I can't. We need to find a way to circumvent that and find a way to do, you know, whether it's finding resources, help, conditioning, training, whatever it is. You may say at this very moment, I cannot complete this, but I will prepare myself to do so. Yeah, it's like getting rid of the word um. You take a breath and pause to Um, figure out what to say next. You don't just give uh, up and you don't fill it with I can't. um, I can't. Um. 
What if it was like I can't um? Is that like a double negative? I don't know, is in, that a fiduciary the thing? Oh my god! <laughs> you hate that. Word. Anyways, so yes, I do because that word is used all too much. But so is the word I can't. So stop telling yourself I can't. Stop allowing the people around you to tell you that you cannot. Stop doing the things that you're comfortable with and get out there and do more. We're seeing a changing market. There's no question about that. And as we see this market change, there's going to be a, a lot of I canters. You need to get out there and take the I canters business and continue to, to push forward and be an I doer. Um, figure it out. Look at I use the word um. You fucked me up. <laughs> figure it out. Get out there. Do the things you need to do to make I can't into I dids. And take, like David Goggins said, take those little wins out of your cookie jar and keep your cookie jar there. This way, when you feel like you can't go any further, you can reach in there and say, I thought that one time too, and here's what I did. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much for tuning in. Hope everyone's having a great day. We'll talk to you soon.